Well, life is full of pain and difficulty, yet one thing I've noticed for sure is that an awareness of God being with you can certainly change and help the way you think about pain and difficulty. It seems to me, at least in my own life and and watching the lives of so many other people that I know, that a big problem is we often miss God in our problems and our difficulties because we take our eyes off him and we put them on to the problems and difficulties. That often leads us to a, a state of what I might call internal pressure. It, it, just, it just, you're like, Ugh. And when you are walking around like that with internal pressure, that leads to interpersonal problems, doesn't it? You're either just, you know, highly strong or you're grumpy or, or whatever. And that, I think, at times, if we're not careful, can even lead to a real struggle with our faith and our trust in God. Today in Genesis chapter 21, we're going to continue with our series that we are calling Venturing into the Unknown. And the title of our message today is God with you in the pressures of life. And it is my hope and my prayer that this is one of those studies that will really strengthen all of us. So I want to jump down to the verse that we just read, verse 22. And it came to pass at the time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke with Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. And if you are a follower of Jesus. First off, if you're not, we're glad that you're with us. We're glad that you're joining us either here in person or online. But that just because God is with you does not mean that it's going to be easy. We do know as followers of Jesus that God is always with us, but it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. So let's remind ourselves of what's going on. After about 25 years of waiting, Abraham at the age of 100, Sarah at the age of 90, was promised a son and God finally came through. So everybody had to know that it was a miracle. But there was a problem. One of those family problems that were sort of under the surface that we don't like to talk about it was that back in chapter 16, we covered this already, 14 years ago, Abraham and Sarah, more Sarah's idea, decided Let's help God out. He promised us a kid. We can't get one. Why don't you go sleep with my uh, maid, my hands made, and let's see what happens. So he did. He should have said, no, I'm not doing that, but he did. And they had a son by the name of Ishmael, and according to the custom, uh, Sarah could take him as her son because it was her her maid or her slave's child, and it was by her husband. So this child then seemingly could belong to Abraham and and Sarah. But it was not, his name was Ishmael, but it was not the son that God has promised. Now it's obvious as you read the life of Abraham that while Sarah and her handmaiden, her, her maid, Hagar, had a rivalry, clearly Abraham loved Ishmael. Clearly, he loved the boy. And so, while this rivalry is going on, it's, it's between the women and he loves the boy, it's creating problems all around. 
uh, pressure all around, pain all around. Those of you who know the experience of a blended family, you're, you're feeling the pain right now because some of you have had, uh, you know, families coming together and bringing together and trying to mix them together. It just doesn't always work as easily as you had hoped. And so things are not simple. The pressure is mounting. And now that the child of promise, Isaac, has been born, things are only going to get worse. So three things we want to look at today. Uh, Number one, God is with you in times of distress. God is with you in times of distress. Now, I know this is not the typical American Christian type of thinking. Right now, it's all about how to be happy, how to be successful, how to get in shape, you know, (laughs) how to do everything. But distress is real. You say, what is distress? Distress is a painful situation. It's extreme anxiety or extreme sorrow. Any of those ever happened to any of you in your life? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking for the person who doesn't have all that. Verse 8, so the child, Isaac, grew and was weaned. So that probably makes him about three years old. If Ishmael was born when, uh, if Ishmael was 14, about, when Isaac was born, that might make him about 17. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. Now, remember this, that Ishmael in Abraham's life has been the center of his attention for 14 years. I mean, that was, that was, they did everything together, dad and his boy, doing stuff together. And now there's another boy. So, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham scoffing, some versions say mocking or laughing. We're not exactly sure what he was doing. Verse 10, therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman. Very interesting. The Apostle Paul quotes that in Galatians 4.30. Some versions say, get rid of that bondwoman. And her son, not your son, Abraham, not our son, her son, For the son of this bondwoman, notice no names, no names, shall shall not be heir, or the idea shall not get the inheritance, or even be a co-heir with my son, namely with Isaac. So last week we saw that Isaac's name means laughter, and we might say it kind of means the joy of the Lord, but Ishmael, he appear, it appears that the name laughter means mockery, means making fun of, all because of probably jealousy. Ishmael was not laughing with Sarah. Remember last week Sarah was laughing because this child was born. He wasn't laughing with Sarah. He was laughing at Sarah. He was, he was mocking Isaac, and therefore... Since he was God's chosen son, he's mocking God. In other words, like many people around us, he, when it comes to the things of the Lord, it's a big joke to a lot of people. And I think many of us have a growing tendency to just ignore such things, but we have to be aware that God does not ignore such things. 
You see, the Lord considers mocking him to be unbelief. Jesus was mocked on the cross. How interesting. The Savior, the one who was their only hope of making it to heaven, was mocked by those he was trying to help. If you're not a follower of Jesus, again, we're glad that you're with us. Really glad that you're with us. Glad that you're watching. But please consider that the attitude of mocking, even the attitude of indifference, is your personal declaration about God. Your very words declare the fact that you are on the outside of the plan of God. Now here, Sarah is deeply offended at Ishmael and Hagar. I would hope that most of all, she would be offended not for herself and for her son, but mainly for the name of the Lord, but I don't think that's the case. Now, we don't know a lot of different things. Perhaps Hagar is now considered a second wife. There we go. The Bible endorses polygamy. No, the Bible is recording the disaster that has become of what Abraham has done even now some 17 years later. In chapter 16, the issue was fertility and jealousy. Now it is inheritance. You know the old expression, right? Where there's a will, there's a relative. <laughs> and so... Now it's going to come down to, she's like, he's not getting anything. Sarah doesn't want them to share in the inheritance. And the, the truth of the matter is this, is if you want to inherit eternity with God, you must become a child of God by putting your trust in his son. The New Testament is when it, you know, some 2,000 plus years later, will, will show us that this incident, ap, ap, represents two different natures, the natural man and woman versus the spiritual man and woman. Sarah's words, harsh as they are, are actually used to bring about the will of God, but she certainly lacks God's heart for those who are outside of the family of God. Verse 11, and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Another version says it was a very difficult thing for Abraham. Another one says that it distressed Abraham. It, it was painful for him. It caused him anxiety. It caused him great sorrow because he loved his son. Remember, he said to God, hey, listen, it's all right. I'm cool if you don't give us a, our own child. Ishmael's here. We'll, we'll, we'll let him be the child of promise. And God said, no, he's not the one. He also knows that by sending him away, he will lose his inheritance. That was the custom of the day. And this is something we all run into at times. Many of us run into domestic disputes. Some of us have believed, I, I know not you people, but, and not you people watching online, the people that aren't watching. Some of you have drama in your family. Any of you have drama in your family? No, good, good, I'm glad. I'm glad. Not even a little over here. This side, apparently quite a bit of drama. They're, they're talking about it. 
Yeah, some families have, have drama. Some families have trouble. Some families, believe it or not, I know, shocking, shocking. Put your seatbelts on for this one. Some families can't agree on things. Some families don't get along. And sometimes things are never settled. But here we see the Lord is right in the middle of it. Remember that in your family squabbles. The Lord is right in the middle of it. And oddly enough, in this case, Theologically, not with attitude, but theologically, the Lord sides with Sarah's assessment that this situation is not God's will and it's not going to work. Well, touchy subject family stuff, isn't it? Yeah, some of, some of you are looking at each other like, yeah, with touchy subject. Well, as long as we're on family, touchy subjects, let's talk about another really touchy one. Let's talk about submission. What are you ladies leaving for? <laughs> Listen to what the Apostle Peter writes in the New Testament over 2,000 years later. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God or hoped in God also adorned themselves or beautified themselves, being submissive, to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Most of you know I asked Pam to call me Lord, but she won't. She always says, you're no Abraham. To which I don't say you're no Sarah because she's better than Sarah. Um, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Another version says, if you do what is right, I guess that's submission in context. And do not give way to fear. Now, we read that, and is that the same Sarah we're reading about right now? Because she always seemed to be kind of giving Abraham a lot of lip. No, did you ever notice that? And, and, and Peter says, oh, no, no, no. She, was, she, she beautified herself, man. She adorned herself with submission. How do you reconcile these things? Well, ladies, stand tall right now. You ready? Despite the bad press about being submissive, that does not mean that you are a yes, dear, whatever you say, doormat. Do you, do you perceive Sarah as that? Not at all. Not at all. Now, legally, back then, that was Abraham's call but what did Sarah do in the situation? She confronted her husband. She said, this is not right. What's going on here now, it's just not going to work. And no matter what his comeback may have been, whose side did the Lord take? The Lord took her side. And so I think submission sometimes gets a really bad rap. The scripture says to be submissive to one another. Did we hear that, husbands? Submissive to one another. Verse 12. Now, remember, God's in the middle of the distress. 
But God said to Abraham, we're not told how this happened, dream, we don't, we don't, we don't know. We don't have to have dreams. It's, it's okay to have dreams, but, but we have the word of God. He didn't. Uh, too early in the Bible. I mean, his, his, what are we on, page 12? I mean, not much of a Bible. Like, I read the Bible cover to cover every year. Oh, great, Abraham, not much, of a, not much going on there. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight. Another version says, Abraham, don't be so distressed because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. Did he just tell Abraham to submit to Sarah? I think he did. Some of you ladies don't even want to admit that. He, he just did. He just said, do what she says. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. So he'll be the, he is the key to the family line, the genealogy. But look at verse 13. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your, he is your seed. He's your son. So it seems to me that Sarah is correct for the wrong reason. She's angry, but she is correct or at least God is leading them to the correct decision, that Isaac is the heir. Now, here's how powerful God is. God can even use a family squabble to accomplish his purposes. This is why sometimes people in church, and we are called the family of God, right? This is why sometimes people in church want to run away. Oh, we didn't get, I didn't get along with so-and-so. And I'm like, no, 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 don't run away. You're, you're running away from what God wants to do. God wants to do his thing in the midst of family squabbles. So, so don't run away with that. That's so selfish. Just to, to, to leave? That's, that's, you know, just don't do that. They just don't do that. In future generations of the people of God, including the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come through Isaac. In the New Testament, in Romans 9, 7, and Hebrews eleven eighteen, it actually quotes the Lord saying here, in Isaac your seed shall be called. So the son of the promise, Isaac, through the centuries, through the family line, will bring us the son of the promise, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will make you and I the sons and daughters of the promise. But in verse 13, the Lord assures Abraham in his distress about what he's going to do with Ishmael. So what is he doing? He's reminding him that he's, God is reminding Abraham that he is faithful because he's already made this promise to him before because what's a big temptation that we all face? To choose family over God. To choose relationships over God. That doesn't mean we torch them. That means we work at them. But ultimately, we choose God. And what does he say to him? I will not forget Ishmael. Now, if we're attentive, even in the worst of times, even in the worst of times, 
the Lord will always have a word for his children. Always. And we of all people have this. You, you say, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know what to do. People call me up all the time. I don't know what to do. I always say, read the Psalms. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is how you read them. Out loud. Out loud. And you will always find a word from God. You'll find yourself praying because as you're reading with the psalmist, you're reading with your eyes and with your ears and with your mouth. You're hearing it and it's going in all over the place, but you're praying to God other times. Other times you're hearing God speak. This is important. This is important for Abraham. This is important for us. Why? Because the Lord commands. He doesn't suggest. He commands an all-out commitment from his people. This is a unique time we're living in, guys. We have the hardcore Christians. We have people who are not really Christians at all. They sort of just show up at you know, church, some churches or stuff like that. But then we have a large middle section. We call this the mushy middle. This middle section is getting cleaned out. So here's something to either look forward to or not look forward to. I was telling Pam and I were talking about this yesterday. Don't forget to wish her a happy birthday. It was her um, birthday yesterday. She's 29. <laughs> now she's going to be like, they're going to think my last number ends in a nine, Jim. Thank you. Okay, it doesn't. But, but um, I, I was saying to her, I think, I think in the next season, and again, some of you will like this and some of you will hate this, I think to avoid any of us being in the mushy middle, we're going to have to call people to a higher living for God. We're, we're going ha to have to not let anybody who considers this to be their home church. Now, and you know what, here's the thing, unbelieving people get that. They get that. They're like, what, what holds me back a lot is the full throttle call of Jesus. I mean, I read, you told me to read the gospel of Mark, Pastor Jim, and dude, that guy is like, follow me, man. And so we're going to have to call each one another, me included, to a higher level of living for God. Because other than that, we end up, as James has been teaching us on Wednesday night, we end up double-minded. So that's number one, God is with you in times of distr uh, distress. Number two, God is with you in times of despair. You see, what's the difference between distress and despair? Distress is painful. Despair is a complete loss of hope. Com completely. Verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her, on Hagar's shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, or it was gone, there's none left. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. Holman Christian Standard Bible says, I can't bear to watch the boy die. So she sat nearby. As she sat nearby, she wept 
loudly. So her situation has gone from distress. Her situation, Abraham is in distress. They're leaving. Her situation has gone from distress of we're leaving to despair. It's hopeless. My son is going to die. I'm going to die. This is not good. So it begins in verse 14. Notice what Abraham does. This is a tremendous example for us. He gets up early, not just getting up early, but gets up early to obey the hard and painful directive of the Lord. Notice God doesn't, everybody's like, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's going to be an easy life. <laughs> Much to learn you have, young Christian. <laughs> right? I mean, well, all the Star Wars are fans. He's talking like Yoda again. Um, but no, no, this is a hard thing for him to do. He's got to get up and do the hard thing, which is the result of his sin. And now he's seeing the result of his sin, the tremendous pain it has brought to others as well. Some situations in life, loved ones, there is no painless way out. There's just not. Some situations in life, you can't fix it. You can't reverse it. You say, well, then what can we do? We can only be faithful in the midst of it. We can only say, I can't change what I did. I can't change what happened. But from this point forward, God, my part in this, I will be faithful. Sometimes we have to make hard decisions, hard ones about the influences in our lives. Oftentimes, God is going to call us to make decisions in life, in faith, that are not easy. Not easy at all. <clears throat> in my experience, God does not call, at least he doesn't call me, he doesn't call most people I know who are true followers of Jesus, to what is easy. He calls us to trust him in what is, what even may not seem like at the time, but what is his best. Not our best, his best. Now Hagar and Ishmael are wandering. Now they are venturing into the unknown, yet they have the promise of verse 16 and verse 13, the promise that he would be a great nation. But here's the thing about despair. Despair has a way of helping us forget the promises of God, doesn't it? When things seem so hopeless, it's very easy for us to put our eyes on that situation and forget the promises of God. Then the worst possible thing happens to them. The water runs out. When we re read that they're in the wilderness, they're out in the desert. No water in the desert, certain death. So she puts him under a tree. She says, let me not see the death of the boy. 
Now here come the skeptics come rolling out again. Well, if, if, he, if they had him, you know, uh, Isaac when, you know, Ishmael was 14 and now it's a, he's about three, that would make him about 17. He's clearly not a boy. The math doesn't add up. I think they ignore a mother's pain. Let me give you an example. My two sons, we have two sons and a girl. You like you were driving on Pam's birthday. That's nice, Pastor Jim. You took her out. No, I took her to Jessica's house, and Jessica had a nice party for Pam. <laughs> the, the boys, well, forget it. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But um, see, I could be spiritual. I just don't have the gift of hospitality. Jim, you have the gift of takeout. Well, that I do. <laughs> okay. But, but my two boys are both grown men. Now, I am a bit over six feet tall. And I am the shortest boy in my family. Both of my boys are taller than me. But they will always be my boys. I'll tell people they're men. They're grown men. I'll tell them sometimes to act like a man. But to me, they'll always be my boys. And to Pam, they'll always be her babies. See, I don't even need to say that women are finishing the sentence for me. And, and, and the grace with which my wife does it is amazing to me. I would be like, I traipsed you around in my gut for nine months. <laughs> I seriously would be that. She doesn't do that. Because they're her babies. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? What's the matter? Now you'd be like, duh, God doesn't know. Of course he knows. He wants to hear it from us. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. You know, it was probably there the whole time. And many of us can testify to this when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, that, that the stuff was there the whole time. Like, I, I always think about growing up as a kid, how many times I heard the gospel read. How many times I took communion. How many times I said prayers and nothing, nothing. It's probably there the whole time. God needs to open our eyes. And sometimes we get so frustrated with the people we're talking with, they're like, they're not getting it. Are you praying that God would open their eyes? While you're talking to them, are you praying that God open their eyes? Those of us who came to faith in life later, some of you, you're younger in the faith, you think, oh, I figured it out. The rest of us are like, no, I didn't figure nothing out. <laughs> like, I'm as dumb as a rock, man. God opened my eyes. It says, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. 
And she went and filled the skin with water and gave it to the lad to drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness. He, lived, he, he, he grew and, and, he, and he lived in the desert and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took, or mother got, a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Now, this to me is very interesting. Ishmael doesn't seem to be a believer. I mean, Abraham, no doubt, told him about Yahweh. But God hears the cry of the mocker. And God provides for him. And we're told that God was with the lad. This seems to me to me what theologians call, if you're not familiar with the term, it's one you do need to be familiar with, very familiar with actually, what we call common grace. Common grace is that God shows grace and provision to the whole world, to believing people and unbelieving people. So it's a beautiful day. God gives it to everyone. The, the cycle of rain and sunshine and the way he provides for the planet. That's common grace. God provides for everyone. So you can, somebody can say to you, you know, oh, it's a beautiful day. And, you know, if you know them and you could just say, yeah, you, you know what, you, do you know what that is? That's what we call as Christians, we call common grace. God is just giving it to everyone. But you see, while that sounds nice, I think this text here is also a call for all of us that if God doesn't write off people, neither should we. He didn't write these two off. Sarah, pff, rip that rip those pages out of the book, man. They're gone. He doesn't write them off, and neither should we. We shouldn't write people off. You go, oh, but they mocked me. You know, if you've been mocked for God, but you're in great company. You're in company with God. You're in company with the Lord Jesus. You're in the company with so many of the people in the Bible. And not to mention, remember this, friends, a lot of times we are the only follower of Jesus in certain people's lives. How many of you are the only Christian where you work? Go ahead, don't be afraid to raise your hand. Okay, right now, I ordain you the pastor of your job. How many of you are the only Christian in your family? Raise your hand. I ordain you the, the, the pastor of your family. Pastor Jim, you're ordaining a lot of women pastors here. Yeah, stick it in your ear. <laughs> if there's nobody else there, come on. I don't care whether you're a guy or a woman. You're the only one there. You're it. You're it. And here we see something else about God. 
here we see God loves single moms. Hagar is now what? She's a single mom. God loves, and this is an amazing thing, God loves teenage boys. <laughs> I don't know too many fathers who love teenage boys, especially when they want to date his teenage girl. God loves wanderers. These guys are wandering in the wilderness. God loves people who are hopeless. God loves people who are despairing. Maybe this is part of the message we need to be preaching to ourselves and telling others about these days about God's incredible love and care for people. You see it in the beautiful day. You see it in the provisions that God makes for people to keep them going. And ultimately, you see it in the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, be more creative in bringing the gospel to people. Be more creative, but get the flag up to the top of the pole. You say, what does that mean? Not the American flag, the cross. They were blessed by God in their despair because God is gracious, but also because they, they knew Abraham. You know, those of you who I just ordained pastors, you, you know the blessing to wherever you are comes to the place where you work or you live a lot of times because of you. God is blessing because of you. God opened her eyes, and she saw water. That's what needs to happen to all of us. God needs to open our eyes so we see the Lord Jesus. So we respond to the Lord Jesus. So we receive not just the water like she did, but what Jesus called living water. If you know John chapter 4, if not, read it for your ho homework. Jesus meets this woman. She goes from guy to guy to guy. Now she's living with her boyfriend. Jesus doesn't go, oh, man, I'm wasting my time with you, girl. He says, hey, I have living water. They meet at a well. well. I have living water. Drink this, you'll never thirst again. She's like, where do I get this? And then what does he do? He gets the flag up to the top of the pole. He tells her who he is. And then she goes out and becomes an evangelist for him. Notice he didn't go, eh, it's okay, don't worry about the way you're living. No, no, he says, what you're doing is wrong. But he still loved her anyway. Water is a metaphor for the provision for, of God. But eventually, like it did for Hagar, eventually our water is going to run out. So Jesus offers us his. Now here's the question. Do you want the living water that Jesus offers that springs up into eternal life? Do you want that? Or you just want life to be easy? 
And so many people that like, that's all I care about. I just want life to be easy. Well, what do you do when it doesn't become easy? A couple years back, I, I had a friend through business and he had a death in the family and he considers himself an agnostic. I'm like, who do you people, uh, an atheist. I said, who do you, who do you call? It's like, we don't really call anybody, man. We don't know what to do. <laughs> See, because eventually all of us will become helpless. Eventually all of us will become distressed. Eventually all of us will become despairing. That great C.S. Lewis quote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I mean, so many of us will tell you that we came to faith in Christ through incredible pain. That God opened our eyes through hopeless despair. Number three, we went through God is with you in times of distress to God is with you in times of despair. Number three, God is with you in times of disagreement. Look at verse 22. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol. Now, these are, these, we came across Abimelech already. Abraham's living in their land. He's the king. So these are two pagan guys. They're not, they're not followers of Yahweh. And Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. We see it, man. Everything you touch, I mean, whatever you are, I mean, you're prosperous. God is with you. Now, therefore, he says, swear to me that you will not deal falsely with me. Remember, Abraham had lied to him and said, oh, yeah, my wife is really my sister. And he, so he's saying, don't deal false with me. Don't do that anymore. Now, it's very interesting when someone would say to you, I know God is with you, but you're a liar. <laughs> Don't deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land which you have dwelt. I gave you this land. I want you to be kind to all of us. Because I see what God's doing in your life. You're becoming a powerful guy. God is with you. Kind of creeps me out a little, Abe. But I, I want you to watch out for us. And Abraham said, I will swear. What does he say? I'm going to curse? No. He says, we can get along. We can get along. Can you get along with unbelieving people? Can you? You're going to have to. You're going to have to. And can you be kind to them? Can you bless them? Can you bless them so much that they might actually say to you, I know you're not a perfect person, but clearly God is with you. Clearly God is with you. Verse 25, then Abraham rebuked Abimelech. He says, okay. We'll get along, but I got, I got a bone to pick with you. I know you got a bone to pick with me. I lied to you. I did. I admit it. But I got a bone to pick with you. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. 
And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor have I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. They made a treaty. Now, isn't that interesting? They stole this well from Abraham, and Abraham is giving a gift to the king of the thieves. And Abraham sent seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because of the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Now, they go to, back to their pagan land. Now, we talked a little bit about how they got along as individuals. Let's expand it a bit. Remember, I told you there's a lot in this where we're talking about. This is a whole sermon. I'll try not to give the whole sermon. And I'll try not to be on the soapbox too long. If we want to make this very current, in addition to get along with people, Phicol, I mean, Abimelech is the king. Phicol is the commander of the army. And Abraham is a rich guy who lives in their country. Or now, through Isaac, the church is being born, really. The people of Israel are being born. So we could say this is church and state relations. This is the people of God dealing with the government. Because both the people of God and the government are from God, the Scripture teaches us. And here we see the church operating through Abraham in a way to get along with them. Now, just hold on. Don't be somebody like, oh! He's not antagonizing him. Notice Abraham, when he's accused of having faults and hypocrisy, he doesn't deny it. Yup. Yup. People say to me, Christians, bunch of messy people. I go, yep, sure are, sure are. You messy, come to our church, you'll love it. <laughs> messy, messy people, including the guy up there yakking away. So he admits his fault and his hypocrisy, but he doesn't compromise his values. And he calls out the issue of the well. How does he do it? He calls out the government with respect. Remember a verse we keep talking about in, in James, if you've been paying, you know, watching on Wednesday nights, or you can go back and watch them on YouTube or listen on our website, that the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. And so we want to remember that despite the fact that sometimes it seems like the government is against the people of God. But that's what's happening here. 
There they come out for him. Hey, we want something from you. Abraham says, fine. I'd like something from you. It seems to me that standing against anti-biblical cultural values, and you can put this under opinion, I get it, but it seems to me that standing against anti-biblical cultural values, which we should do, but when we do it with humility, that's how we make Jesus look good. Because the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. So we have to watch our tone and watch our anger in these things. And these discussions, and we're probably going to talk more about this after Easter. I'm, I'm, I really think we're going to look at the life of Daniel, what it means to live in a different land, because now we live in a different land. So I can't get out of my head. I'm sorry, but I can't get out of my head. That riot that took place in Washington, D.C., and Americans have every right to... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a free speech maniac. I really am. I think that we need to let people say ridiculous stuff. Not incite violence, but say ridiculous stuff. But I can't get out of my head that some people are holding up signs that say, hang Mike Pence, who is a brother in the Lord, and other people are hanging out signs that say, Jesus saves. To me, that made us look really bad. Really bad. Being respectful. Stating how you feel about something. All day long. We should do that all day long. But hang a brother and Jesus saves? You know, dude, take that sign down, man. You say, I, I don't know about that, Pastor Jim. I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't get with you on that one. Okay, let me just use one example. One example. Can I use one example from the Bible? Okay. Jesus with Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was a ruthless, ruthless, corrupt politician. And how did Jesus treat him? With gentleness and respect. With meekness and fear. He wasn't afraid of him. Remember he said to him, you'd have no power unless my Father in heaven gave it to you. Jesus honored the position that God had given to Pontius Pilate, and he did it without compromising his values. He did it without compromising who he is. And what did Pontius Pilate keep saying over and over about Jesus? I find no fault with this man. I find no fault. I don't believe a word he says. But I find no fault in this man. Now, you think he would have found fault in Peter cutting off a guy's ear? <laughs> yeah, that's not too cool. You see, Abraham demonstrates 
the presence of God in his life in this disagreement by demonstrating mutual respect, by trying to find a common ground, which is not always going to be easy, and a lot of times it's going to be a dead-end street. But it comes to the fact that really comes down to that they both want peace And they, they want to find some way for it not to be a bloodbath. I don't, I don't know why. And again, I know I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just expressing myself here. I get it. I'm almost done. I don't know why so many people seem to think that we have to 100% agree with someone in order to get along with them. I don't understand that at all. Remember I said when we went to paint this room, we asked 100 people what color, and we got 300 opinions. <laughs> so we hired an interior decorator. <laughs> you see, if everybody has to agree on everything, you know what that does? Do you know what that does? I'll tell you what it does. It ruins marriages. It ruins friendships. It ruins families. It ruins businesses. It ruins churches. It ruins denominations. And you know what's another thing that's going to do? And I want to talk to the young people about this. Really, serious, dead serious here. It's even probably going to keep some of you out of politics, which is a doggone shame. Because we need you in the political realm. We need you there. It's a real shame. Followers of Jesus who actually act like followers of Jesus have a lot to contribute to one another and to the world. But hatred? We see what hatred's done to the world, haven't we? The anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. I'm not saying don't speak your mind. I'm saying speak your mind. Maybe speak your mind more than you ever did. But be aware of the way we do it. Verse 33, only because we become easy targets. We become really easy targets. Verse 33, Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord the everlasting God, and Abraham and God stayed there in the land of the Philistines many days. So having settled the matter, Abraham worships the everlasting God. Everlasting means he's not just the God of the past, but he's the God of the present and he's the God of the future. For, for a follower of Jesus, that's one of the beauties of venturing into the unknown because we know as we move into the future that God's always there. And, and, and notice here that God does something that self-centered people don't get at all. He called Abraham to stay. Despite the disagreements, despite the fact that the people didn't agree with everything that he said, he called them to stay. Certainly, if the Lord is with us, 
in the small pressures of life, in the large pressures of life, if he's providing for us, there's nothing to fear because we know he's with us. So I have to, I have to, I have to help you answer this question, how do you know God is with you? 2,000 years later, the apostle Paul explains really what's going on here in Galatians chapter 4 by comparing all people to Hagar and Sarah, to Isaac and Ishmael. Galatians 4, 22 and 23, he writes this. He's comparing living under performance versus living under the grace of God found in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of promise. He says this, Galatians 4, 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman and the other by the free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Jumping down to verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. So Christians are children of the promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, when, they, when there was sin, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, Isaac. Even so it is now. So should we be surprised? No. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Quote Sarah. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So the Apostle Paul says in that text, he uses sort of an allegory here. Uh, you teachers can explain to the students that word. Um, and he explains a hidden meaning here that Hagar and Ishmael stand for those who think that self-effort is going to get them into heaven. That's what they stand for. Here's the question. Somebody says, I think being a good person is how you get to heaven. You go, how good is good enough? There's your easy question. Uh, well, me, right? <laughs> you see the answer. <laughs> you know, well, I'm not Hitler. Well, big deal. I mean, there's not only so many of those. But see, you and I, we don't decide that. God does, and any of us could be cast out. Sarah and Isaac stand for those who are living by faith, trusting in the promise of God through the promised Son. As children of God's promise, they could never be cast out. They are pictures of those who put their trust in God's promise, the Lord Jesus Christ. On the cross, the Lord Jesus, the Son of Promise, how was he treated? He was treated like the Son of Flesh. He was cast out. Why? So those who trust him could inherit the promises of God. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So those who trust in God and Jesus would never say that. Hagar and Ishmael were left to die in the wilderness. They didn't. On the cross, Jesus said what? I thirst. And he died on the cross. Hagar did not want to watch her son die. But on the cross, God the Father watched his son die. So he would never have to watch those who put their trust in Jesus die. Abraham planted a tree. Jesus was crucified on a tree, on a wooden cross. Like Isaac was mocked on that cross, Jesus was mocked. 
Remember, Abraham offered something to the party that offended him. He, he gives a gift to the guys who stole from him. In the same way, God gave the most precious thing he had, his son, to those who had deeply offended him by thumbing their nose at him. The Apostle John wrote these words, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, but as many as received him or put their trust in Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? You trust in Jesus for all he is, Savior and Lord, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, like Ishmael, nor of the will of man, but of God, born like Isaac, we talked about last week the miraculous new birth. So I just need to ask you all here watching online one simple question. It's a choice between two, two things. You just got to choose between two things. That's it. Whose child are you? Are you the child of the bondwoman trusting in your own effort to get you to heaven? Or... Are you the child of the promise, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you know? It's actually pretty easy. Even if you say you've put your trust in Jesus, let me ask you this question. What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of the cross and resurrection? Does Jesus still fill you with joy? Or... Do you get angry when you hear you can't do it yourself? Those who receive Jesus, who have believed in his name, had their eyes opened, hold tightly on to him, and can and are invited to come constantly to drink of living water. So hold on to Jesus. Drink that living water in all the pressures of life and even in death. Because no matter where God takes you, no matter where he takes me, he is with us in all the pressures of our lives. Well, let's stand and pray.